0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Hey, Jay, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, how's it going? Um, I just re-carpeted the bedroom. I got two thresholds, and I'm not sure how to handle them. I've, I've seen several different uh, ways of handling it, but I've got one going to a threshold that's transferring to tile, and then the other one is going to the laminate blank. Okay. And so well, I'm just looking for the best way to to finish that, that carpeted edge. You know, you, you, like you just said, you've, you've seen several different ways. One of the most common is where they actually have a, Piece that they put down under the carpet and the carpet tucks under it so the, the carpet comes across the floor and it curls down under that little lip and butts up to the other flooring. That's probably the most common. Next to that is they, they make l- transition pieces and it's all going to depend on the, the elevations that you're dealing with. Uh, for instance, on the tile, where tile meets carpet, well, and the and the laminates both, uh, the laminate you put down is very thin, correct? Uh, it's a twelve millimeter, so okay. it's a wood laminate. Okay, it's a wood laminate. Okay, so whether it's the tile or the wood laminate, then they make a, a track that you put down at the edge of the hard floor, and then a T-type top goes on it that would match whichever flooring you're looking to match. Um, My personal, I I personally like still using where just carpet curls back up under the carpet and and everything butts up to each other because typically the carpet uh, has enough size on it that even if your edge isn't totally perfect, it covers it up. Okay. Okay. All
1: right, thank you very much.
0: You bet. Good luck with that, AJ. Now, AJ, right, are you doing this yourself or are you having that done? I, I'm I'm doing it myself. I've already redone the whole the, the carpet. So everything's done except for the thresholds and that's just what I couldn't figure out how to how to handle. You you know, do you have a kicker and a carpet stretcher to use? Yes. Okay. Then then you can do that edge pretty easily. The key thing on that edging is, you know, it it's a metal piece that sticks up, uh that the carpet tucks under. And uh-huh. make sure you tuck it in there good and tight, and then you use a basically a little hammer to just bend that metal piece down to hold it in place. Okay. And, that, and that's what grips it. And you, you okay. can pick that edging up at any carpet place, or I think even the box stores carry it. Okay. Now, I've been told
1: that you could use uh, like a standard tack strip, but I've always been afraid that with nothing on top of it, that the tacks would would kind of poke through right there on that
0: threshold. They don't. Really? No. You'll you'll be fine if you put a tax chip across. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks. I catch your show whenever I can and appreciate the great info. A few months ago, I heeded your advice and set up a soaker hose system on a timer. It is set for 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening, as you suggested. Money well spent. Trying to do it manually was pretty much hit and miss. Anyway, when should I plan on shutting it down for the winter we live in North Texas? You don't. You run it year-round. In the summer months, you will never keep up with the drought. And if you turn it on once you know it started drying out, you're trying to play catch-up forever. So you run it year-round because in the winter months, you're prepping the soils for next summer and what that does is it minimizes that roller coaster that up and down so once you get the timers going and stuff just keep it going key thing is you know if we get into a really wet period yeah you can go shut it off for a a little while but make sure you turn it back on as soon as the weather starts clearing linda how are you today
2: questions i'm getting ready to paint a couple of houses and i wanted to know um I don't want to repaint anytime soon. I wanted to see if, like, Coronado by Benjamin Moore or if there's a better type of paint that stands up to our heat down here.
0: Well, you know, a a lot has to do with what you spend on the paint and color of the paint. Um, And I say what you spend on it because if you get the really cheap paints, there's a lot of clay mixed in with the paint. And that washes off, and the paint just doesn't stand out. You know, it doesn't last that way. You're looking at spending when you're getting a good quality paint that's going to give you, you know, a nice ten year or more paint job. You're going to be up in the thirty five dollar bracket per gallon. And
2: okay, one of these was fifty. Yeah, yeah,
0: okay. perfect. So you're you're getting up into the better paints. Uh, you know the brands it used to make a huge difference and and it still does in some case i personally still stick with the name brands and and you named one of them off there but uh you know Benjamin Moore uh Kelly Moore uh Sherwin Williams uh had we've had very very good luck with uh oh my goodness i had it before i started listing all the names uh lowes carries it now as well um glidden no. no, I don't know. Yeah, Glidden's another good good one that you can use. But, uh, you know, really all the name brand paints, uh, we've really, they, they've they just upgraded all of them. Because what happened was several years ago when they had to do away with lead and all that stuff in the paints, all the paints really got bad. And they've d- done all the research, rebuilt the paints and stuff, and, and they're all doing pretty good again.
2: Okay. Well this one I think I did this house in Pittsburgh Manor Hall and it's ready to do again, okay? But okay. it was done years ago. Yeah. Um the other question is what about um so just the more I spend probably the better it'll be. As yes, far ma'am. as per gallon. Well okay. I mean you don't have uh, to get ridiculous
0: caulking? with it, but yes. Okay. On caulking, stick with your thirty five or fifty year caulkings. Uh, okay, somebody use, like,
2: recommended Big Stretch. I don't know. A, I have no idea. of it. That is a
0: great, it's hard to find it, though. But that is oh, one of the, it. yeah, that is one of the best caulkings you'll you'll find. And the, the advantage to the higher ends that way, one, if you put in a 10-year caulk on your windows outside, two or three years from now, you're going to be redoing it. Uh, if you use a 35 or a 50-year, you're typically going to get 10 or 15 years out of it. Pretty much like your paint job. Big stretch. If you've got any places where you get a little bit of movement, which we all do here in Texas, uh, it actually is able to stretch out and shrink back as things move a little bit. One of the best uh, caulkings there are out there.
2: Okay, and if I go ahead and paint my front door, um, I need like a low VOC or what do I need to um, make sure that that door stays nice?
0: is it direct sunlight the all door. the time
2: no this one isn't this was a north one actually
0: okay if it's not getting a, a lot of direct sun and stuff you can paint it pretty much just like the the rest of the house the rest of the trim and stuff on the house and you'll be just fine it's the it's the okay. direct sun on those doors that really tear them up okay well that's those are my questions thank you you bet and you know with so many different paints and colors and i didn't get into the color portion of it the darker the color, the quicker it's going to fade. So if you stick with lighter colors, it'll stay looking like a new paint job much longer than if you go with one of the, you know, like a deep red or, or a browns and, and things like that. And I think that's one of the reasons that color changes have really happened over time to where we're going with a lot of, of lighter colors. Just, just my two cents on it just a reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast it helps people find us there are several different ways of trying to keep flood waters out obviously one of them is to raise the structures up out of flood waters which is what i do and that is a foolproof way you get the house up above where the flood waters are going to be you're obviously not going to get water in the house but Let's be realistic here. It's expensive, and I'll make no bones about that because it is extremely labor-intensive, and that that means expensive. Now, there's several other systems. We talked about the one where it can come up out of the ground, and you got plastic around the house that floats and keeps the water from going up against the house. Is that going to... That'll, that'll work fine for lower amounts of flood water. Uh... The system I was talking about is a company called FloodSafe USA. And I have talked with these people a couple of times. I, I met them at a home show. And it, it is a viable system. Now, here's the thing with any system that's not raising the house out of floodwaters. And, and the flood safe people, they, they were actually the ones who pointed this out to me. The structure of the house is only meant to withstand so much pressure. And so basically, after you get up two feet or so, you'll start putting so much water pressure against the walls, they can fail. So you're not going to find a system, if you're getting three, four, five feet of water in the house, there's not a system you're going to put around the house to keep that much water out. The walls themselves can't handle that structural load. But... If you, like the guy we were just talking to, only had, say, 12 inches or 18 inches in the house, and you want to try to keep that out, take a look at this Flood Safe USA. The, thing, the reason I like this particular system, uh, it is one of those where the house stays looking the same. You're not having a whole bunch of stuff that you got to do if the floodwaters start coming up. Uh, so it's not, is is it going to be foolproof? Eh, who knows? You, you, you probably still may get a little bit here and there, but you're protecting the majority of your house. So, uh, it, it is something I would take a look at. In fact, uh, Josh, is that somebody I can go to? Okay. I'm going to, we had somebody who just called in Tasha. Yes, sir. Okay. Who are you with?
1: This is Tasha Nielsen. I'm actually the CEO of Flood Frame. I okay. believe you've had a couple of questions about our products.
0: Well, not not your product in particular, but probably you in the, in general in those type of systems. Now uh, Okay. So what what how is it you guys do it?
1: Yeah, so ours is Flood Frame, and we call it the Flood Protection System. It is a waterproof cloth. That works entirely on buoyancy. So we install it around the perimeter of the building, underground, with um, a nice lid on top. So hopefully, you know, ah, okay. It. So I
0: did have a caller who. Yeah, this is how this conversation got started. Okay, go ahead.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, so um, that's our product. Um, we are installing one in Katy right now. It's almost done, and we're going to have a grand opening for it. So we'd love for people to come by and see it. But the beauty of it is it was actually invented in Europe and has been used throughout Europe. So all of the, you know, testing and training on it has already been done. And we're taking this genius technology and just bringing it to Texas. But the way it works is on buoyancy. So it's installed underground. underground, And when a flood comes in, um, we have an automatic or manual system. So manual just means you got to take the lids off because all you got to do is get the lids off. And then the rest works by buoyancy. So the automatic system, we have a system set up so the lids will come off for you. Um, And then after that, if you kind of picture like a pool noodle, that noodle is always going to float on top of water. Right. So one end of the cloth is tethered down in the ground, and then the other end is around kind of like a pool noodle. And it'll continue to unroll up the building as high as the water goes, providing a barrier between your house and the water.
0: Okay, so how high can it go?
1: So what you have to think about is your structure itself, your house, is holding back the weight of water. So it depends on how much pressure your house can take. So it depends on, you know, what material it's made out of, how old it is. All of that being said, um, the Corps of Engineers has done a study on old wood frame, mason buildings, and they say safely three to three and a half feet. We've had some preliminary calculations done by Texas A&M where they say um, mason wood buildings, they really think it can go up to about five feet. So um, we're doing them anywhere between the three and five feet, depending on how old the house is.
0: Okay. Uh, What do you do with doorways and garages? Yes.
1: So if you actually watch the video, it'll help you kind of wrap your head around how it works. But if there's a doorway with a frame, the cloth is actually strong enough to wear you know, itself against the frame. So in the video we have online, you can actually open the door and it's just kind of sitting there in front. Um, if you have a bigger area that we need to go around, we provide either what we call a temporary wall or uh-huh. a permanent fence. So the temporary wall is basically a piece of plywood that you put in your garage and then when you think the flood's going to come you come set it up and now that is what flood frame uses to roll up against. Okay. Or we can do more of like a permanent fence that looks like a nice picket fence or So we so work do you have what they want?
0: So does it stretch across the uh, it, it you dig a trench then across where the garage door opening is or or how do you have Correct. the material yeah. there? Okay.
1: Yes, we dig it across, uh, we saw cut the driveway, put it in there, and then in that area we have a steel lid so that you can drive on top of it.
0: Okay. Uh, Is it waterproof, or can we still expect we're going to get a little bit of stuff here and there?
1: So the cloth itself is waterproof, and we dig it down into the ground, and we have cement around it. So you've got a pretty good watertight structure. Of course, if a flood is going to stay for weeks, um, you could expect seepage, so for that case, we actually include um, what we call the drainage system on the inside between the box and the house, and it's basically like a foundation watering system. It's a four-inch okay. drainage um, pipe, you know, perforated pipe with gravel Gosh, on top, I, and that music means I've got to take off. a quick
0: break. Uh, okay, if you don't mind, I'm gonna put you on hold for just a minute and uh, okay. I'll finish up with you when we come back for just a quick second before we head back into calls. Tasha, it, the name of the company is Flood Frames?
1: Flood Frame, yes, okay,
0: sir. no S. No S, okay, Flood Frame. Uh, so you said you're installing one in Katy, did you say?
1: Yes, it's well, it's technically Houston, but it's the Katy area. It's okay. um, just south of I-10 on Fry Road. It's our first installation, and then we've got one going in up north and a few more down the pipeline. So we just launched our Texas company back in March, and uh, we're getting the first one started now. But like I mentioned earlier, it's not a new product. It's not new technology. Sure. So all of the kinks have kind of been worked out already, and now we just get to take advantage of them.
0: So the number that you just called from, because it comes up on our caller ID, uh, uh-huh. is, is that a number I can get a hold of you? Because I would love to come out and see this
1: absolutely yes this is the number that i give to all the the clients and everybody so you can call me back anytime
0: okay Well, i'm going to give you a call i'd love to come out and see it now i'm going to tell you up front i'm i'm a competitor uh, because i do house raisings uh but there's a lot of times you know uh, somebody only has 12 inches of water in their house it really is expensive to raise a house to get it up out of the flood waters and using one of these other systems makes a lot more sense uh, and the numbers that the the caller was tossing around, you sounded pretty reasonable in cost.
1: Yes, it is pretty reasonable. Uh, when I've done the comparison against other flood options, we definitely come out the most affordable.
0: Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you a call and see if I can come out and take a look at a project this week. That would be great. I have a popcorn ceiling in my master bedroom that has some bubbles in it. No leaks, bad craftsmanship. And I would like to replace it with beadboard or vinyl ceiling tiles. Is that a good idea? What's your thoughts? Hey, beadboard is fine. I, I just did, a, oh, I guess probably six months ago, a, a patio room that we have with a beadboard on, on the top. If you want to do it, though, you're going to find that the popcorn is going to be a little bit rough uh, and going to make it difficult for you to get a nice smooth finish up there. So scrape the popcorn off I know it's a pain but if you'll spray a mist of water on it it keeps the dust to a minimum and they make scrapers where it has a bag for the popcorn to fall straight into makes it very easy to, to clean it up they also make it where you can hook them up to a shop vac uh, while you're scraping it's just all getting vacuumed up so once you get it scraped off mark where the ceiling joists are because when you put the beadboard up you're going to want to be able to nail into the the, uh, ceiling joist. If you just hook it into the sheetrock, it's likely not going to stay very well for you. But if you'll do that, that beadboard will look gorgeous up there. Um, As far as putting in the tiles, uh, you can do that. But let's face it, that really looks old-fashioned. I I would go with the beadboard instead talking about windows. This comes from Paul in Frisco. Best types of windows to put in an existing screen porch. Well, it depends, Paul. And this is why I prefer you guys call in because then we can hold a discussion because here's one of the big depends questions. Are you going to air condition that screen? That that patio room? Because if you're going to air condition it, you want a window that's going to be more energy efficient than if you're just going to use it as an outdoor screened patio where you can open the windows and get a breeze inside rather than air conditioning it. So let's go with the assumption that you're going to air condition it. If that's the case, you obviously want to put in a double pane window so that you got energy efficiency to be able to control the temperature and humidity in that room much better. Uh, If you're going to go with no air conditioning in the room then single pane windows will be fine. Uh, You know, that way you can open them up and, and get air inside. Personally, I would look at the windows on the rest of your house and match the windows to what you have on the house as far as the frame type and color. So if you've got uh, vinyl windows on the rest of the house, you put vinyl windows in that room addition. And you're going to find if you're going to put vinyl windows, you're going with double pane windows. You'll also find if you go with the double pane window, even if you don't air condition it, you can open windows from the house and the doors that go into that room and it'll keep it fairly comfortable on the times that you do want to sit out there. So it it doesn't really limit you that you can't sit out there. The only reason I say, you know, if you're not going to air condition it and stuff to go with the single pane windows, it is far less expensive to put in than a double pane replacement window. But either way, Uh, If I was going to keep it where I'm going to try to sit out there and stay comfortable, I would probably take a look at the the double-pane windows where I could open doors and and let air conditioning in or add air conditioning to the room. Rachel, welcome to Texas Home Improvement.
3: Thank you, Jim. I have a question. Uh, We bought the house. It's six years old, but the previous owners, they planted a couple of magnolia trees. And the front door is very close to the front door, very close to the wall. And uh-huh. in the back, they uh, we have a pool, and they planted pine trees. And I wonder if these trees are supposed to be this close to the house. Does it make any problems in the future for the foundation?
0: Yes, it does. How close to the to the house are these uh, magnolias?
3: Magnolias very close, like like. It's
0: touching the wall of the front door. Oh, take them out. Yeah, they, they need. They, uh-huh. Yeah, they need, they need to go away. Uh, because when a tree is that close, not only uh-huh. can it draw moisture out of the soil and cause settlement, but as that tree grows, if it's right on top of that concrete, it can uh-huh. actually, the root system, start lifting the foundation up as well.
3: Oh, okay. And what about that pine tree spot in the backyard, uh, like close to the pool. Does this
0: affect the pool in the future, too? Uh, probably not, because typically a swimming pool is deep enough in the ground uh-huh. that, that the roots won't be a problem for it. Now, the pool deck and things like that, yes. Uh, and those pine needles falling into the pool, let me tell you, you're gonna you're going to play pure heck keeping the acid level right in that swimming pool with a pine tree on top of it.
3: Yeah, so it's better to take them
0: both sides. Probably so.
3: Okay. All right. So well, thank you. I appreciate your
0: help, Jeff. You're welcome. Take care. Gloria, how are you today?
4: I'm doing wonderful. I don't want you to think that, well, I'm embarrassed to ask, but I'm serious. Okay. Um.
0: Then I won't my tease dry, you.
4: My dryer, I can't see where the lint is going out or any puffs of smoke or anything. Okay. So what what do I do? What where do I look?
0: Okay. uh Is your dryer in the middle of the house or on an outside wall or what?
4: On an outside wall.
0: So if it's on the outside wall, it should have just a vent that goes straight out the back. Uh huh. And if you go outside, you should see this little plate that's about six inches by six inches. And has uh-huh. a little angle to it, so that when rain hits it, it it sheds the rainwater. Okay. And then right. behind so, the dryer is going to be a flex hose, so that you can pull the dryer out. Yeah, and, I know.
4: I've seen the hose.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, that that's that's going to be it. It's just going straight out that wall.
4: Okay. So do I clean out the lint that might be in that silver little pipe? Yes, ma'am. I need to pull it out.
0: Yes, pull it out and, and clean that out. And realistically, those things should be cleaned out about once a year.
4: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: how, how many years has it been, Gloria?
4: I've been, look, been looking at the wall. I look at the wall, and then I go outside. And I say, I wonder where is all that stuff going? <laughs> and so I got a chance to call you today, and I thank you so much. No, a...
0: can't
4: tell, I cannot tell you <laughs> because... <laughs> I knew it was going out, but I didn't know where. Yeah. Okay, so I need to clean that
0: out. Yep. Now, I I will tell you, being it's it's such a short run, it's not as critical on a short one like that as it is when they go up into the attic and then out. Those pipes need to be definitely cleaned once a year because that buildup can become dangerous there. But yours is such a short run that it probably doesn't have hardly anything in it.
4: But can I put it back once I take that pipe, the tube
0: out? Yes, ma'am. You, that tube should have just a clamp on it on behind the dryer uh-huh. where you can take that flexible hose off, clean that pipe out real quick, and put the clamp back on, and you're all done.
4: Oh, thank you so much. I was kind of like the bird that sticks his head in the gram. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew I needed to do something. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome, Gloria. Take care. Cece, welcome to Texas Home Improvement.
4: Hi, Jim. Hello. I have a
5: question for you. I have an appointment to have an AC guy come out and look at my AC on tomorrow. And um, what happened is that it's not coming on. However, when I turn it on from the thermostat, I can hear it kick in. I can hear the fan, but nothing is coming out. And recently, I had a uh, hot water heater Uh uh, issue where the compression tank went out, and the guy came to fix it, and I think he turned all of the power to the house off. I assumed that he had to do that before he could work on it. And I, I assumed he turned everything back on because everything is working, but... The, air, the AC is not working now, so I don't know if it's related.
0: Is that, is, did it did it quit when he worked on the water heater?
5: Well, we didn't notice that the AC stopped working until the next day. Okay. So, I, I mean, the timing is just too much of a coincidence. But the other thing is that we've never had the air ducts cleaned, so we don't know if it's the air ducts.
0: No, it's not. It's not. It's not going to be the air ducts. But uh, here's what. Here's the things I would tell you. Let's do first. Okay. Go through and shut all the breakers off and turn them back on. Okay. Then up in the attic where the or I'm assuming your is your unit up in the attic? No, it's outside. Well, you got an outside unit, but uh, there's also going to be the blower either in a closet or up in the attic. Oh. Um. Okay. Because you're you're saying you can hear that you you can hear the system kick on, but you're just not getting air coming out of the vents, right? Yes. Okay, that's going to be the blower unit. Is the outside unit coming on when you when you hear it click on?
5: You know, we haven't gone out there to listen to see if you could hear anything.
0: Yeah. But I just... the, the fact that you're hearing something kind of tells me that you're probably hearing the outside unit come on. Uh the coils are activating in the attic and everything, but you're not getting the fan blowing the air. And if you go up and look at the unit in the attic, and I'm again I'm making the assumption it's in the attic, not in a closet, uh, but there's there's gonna be a light switch near okay. that near that unit that turns the power on and off to that unit in the attic. Okay. And it's very possible that he bumped it or something. Because uh, is the water heater in the attic or is it in the garage? Garage. Uh, well, then he probably didn't hit anything on that unit. So check with the breakers in the breaker panel. Shut all of them off. Turn them all back on one at a time. And the reason I'm having you do that, sometimes a breaker will trip and it looks like it's on still but it's got to be shut off completely and turned back on before it actually is engaged and on. Okay, we're going
2: to
4: think
0: of that. Okay. You've just heard the best calls and questions from
4: Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.